0: We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still
1: felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming
0: and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And
1: you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live-streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom-branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at
0: heymarvelous.com. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Oh, my goodness. We just wrapped up the most amazing interview with Gay Hendricks. He, of course, is the author of The Big Leap. And I think that book was one of the most influential books that I have ever read, both on a personal self-development level and as an entrepreneur. And I've definitely recommended it to so many of my entrepreneurial friends. Gay Hendricks has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. He has his PhD in psychology from Stanford, and he's also written more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as The Five Wishes, The Big Leap, and Conscious Loving. But did you know that he's also a mystery novelist? He has a series of five books featuring a Tibetan Buddhist private detective. Gay has also appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, and he has a brand new book that's just been released called The Genius Zone. One of the things that I worried about with talking to him is that he wouldn't want to talk about the concepts in The Big Leap that I found so impactful. And it turns out that it's one of his favorite subjects. Even though he's wrote that book many years ago, he still loves to talk about it because that is his zone of genius, is helping others find theirs. We also talked about cats in bikinis, which was a little unexpected. So here you go. Please enjoy Gay Hendrix.
1: Okay. Well, welcome, Mr. Gay Hendrix, to the podcast. We are so excited to have you.
2: Thanks a lot, Jenny. I'm really glad to be with you.
0: When you agreed to come on to the podcast, there was just a lot of clapping and a lot of shrieking because <laughs> you your book, and I'm sure we're not the first to tell you this, it, your book is so influential for so many people, for us, but also for our clients and a lot of, I have a couple of business networking groups that I recommended it. And people came back and said that was one of the best books I ever read. And I just realized you've written like 40. So we should probably say we're talking about The Big Leap, right? That, is that your best-selling book? Is that the most successful?
2: Well, thanks to Oprah, probably Conscious Loving uh, oh. back in the 90s when we were on Oprah with that a couple of times. Oprah has a pretty good reach, you know? And so yeah. she stands up there and says, buy this book, you know, <laughs> look out. It, uh, it's different than uh, my
0: little networking group.
2: <laughs> yeah. Since the turn of the century, I would say Big Leap has been the by far the biggest selling book and kind of an interesting thing. I know you all are interested in, uh, in books and writing. The Big Leap is exclusively interesting among my books because it's the book that started out selling pretty well, but it is escalated over the years without any kind of advertising just by word of mouth oh it's because of
0: me it's because of me oh (laughs) good
2: thank you well uh (laughs) thanks to you sandy and uh jenny um it sells more every year and so like this year i think probably is the best selling year for the big leap since it came out 12 years ago so
0: interesting It's
2: kind of an author's dream in a way, because also I really enjoy talking about the subject. And so I get a lot of people come here for coaching and work with my wife and myself and our coaches here. And also um, I get a lot of of people writing in and telling me big leaps that they've made. And so it's Mm -hmm. it's really a delightful kind of thing because I, in a way, every time I open my inbox in the morning, I know I'm going to see at least a couple of kind of fan letters from people saying The Big Leap changed their lives. And can't say anything better to an author, you know, than to say I read your work and it made a difference in my life. So I feel a lot of joy off that every moment when I uh, open my inbox in the morning.
0: So I wanna dive into that. And we've got some specific questions about sort of applying the concepts of The Big Leap to today post COVID and building businesses and so on. But I'm wondering if for some reason, someone has not talked to me and has not had me tell them to read the book, Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? And I would also be super curious about what your business is like today.
2: Mm, Okay, well, I can start there. We've had the Hendricks Institute since 1989. So it's about 30 30 some years. Uh, Hmm. And then we also have our nonprofit foundation, the Foundation for Conscious Living that we do a lot of work with also. Uh, But uh, yeah, I started out as a university professor. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, my girlfriend wanted to be a teacher. And I started going to these meetings called the It was called the Future Teachers of America with my girlfriend. And I got hooked on being a teacher. I, I'd never thought of it before. I, I don't know what I wanted to do in my life when I was 15 years old, but suddenly I wanted to uh, be a teacher. And uh, so then I ended up uh, falling in love with the process of counseling and psychotherapy and getting my master's in counseling and my uh, PhD in counseling psychology at Stanford. And so for many years, I was very happy to teach courses at the University of Colorado. I ran the Department of Counseling Psychology for a while, and uh, but I was always a professor in the counseling uh, department at the University of Colorado until Oprah called. <laughs> and then uh, uh, in the late 1980s, Katie and I wrote a book called Conscious Loving. And we literally went overnight from working in our office with 10 couples to flying out to Chicago and getting on a show and doing it with 10 million people. And it was life changing in a way because uh, suddenly, you know, just to put it in financial terms, I was making more doing a weekend workshop than I was making the entire year doing my university professoring job, uh, even though I loved it. After a while, i Felt guilty because I wasn't giving it the amount of attention that I had been able to give it, and so we set up our own institute. So that's been what we've doing for the past thirty years. We offer trainings uh, several times a year. We used to offer them in person, but now we do a lot of our trainings uh, on Zoom and other platforms, um, which is really great in a way because instead of having to get fifty people to fly here to Ojai, California, you know, a little town in California, and then you know the what it costs to stay here and everything. a training that would cost you know might cost a thousand dollars by the end of time people come here and do it. it has been two or three thousand dollars to get here. So suddenly, when they became available on Zoom, people were signing up all over the world for them. and so that made a huge difference in our business. kind of oddly enough, we ended up having the best year we've ever had in last year which was probably the worst year for a lot of things Uh, but uh, it was just I think because people were at home and they were doing a lot of virtual trainings and buying a lot of books the sales of the big leap doubled and tripled during the years of of 2020 and early 21 when the pandemic was still roaring along so um, uh, we feel very blessed in that regard although our hearts go out to all the people that didn't have a very good time over the last year or so.
0: I also saw on your website, we were looking just before you jumped on here, that you have coaches. Do you offer currently offer a coaching program?
2: Yes. Uh, we've trained, I think, over the years about uh, 1,200 different uh, coaches around the world. And so we, two or three times a year, we do a training, one training in our form of relationship work and another professional training in our area of uh, body-centered transformation. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of work here with natural things like breathing and movement and things that are take you beyond your mind and take you beyond your programming into a whole different zone of your genius. And so that's a big part of our work. So we do trainings on that twice a year. And uh, yes, um, we, uh, we have a, a real solid team of coaches around the world that we can refer people to. Uh, So that's a good source of joy for us also.
0: Yeah, that's great. Okay, before we started recording, I said, are you tired of talking? Are you sick to death of talking about The Big Leap and the concepts in, and you said, no, I will never get tired of it. So that's where we're going. Do you wanna just give us the two two minute version of that book so we can talk about it?
2: What do we need to know? Okay, The Big Leap is about two big things. The two big things are the upper limit problem. And the upper limit problem simply is the tendency to sabotage yourself when things start going better. And I've got I don't know how many hundreds of examples of that in my files. But, you know, a classic example is a person has a kind of breakthrough at work and then goes home and gets into a horrendous argument Hmm. with family that night or the other way around. The person is things are going well at home and then they have a big blow up at work and knock themselves back down to where they were before. So that's the upper limit problem. And the big leap shows you how to get free of that by Becoming familiar with the four or five big fears that drive the upper limit problem. And the second thing, the big leap is about is the genius zone, how to orient your life so that you're living in the zone of your natural genius, doing what you most love to do and what is uniquely suited to you and what makes your biggest contribution. So when you're in the sweet spot of your genius zone, You're doing what you most love to do, and you're doing it in a way that really serves other people as well as yourself. So to me, seeing people do that, I say I get to live on a steady diet of miracles because I get to see people making these big leaps all the time. And it's really amazing to me, you know, just to, to get an email from a person who, you know, walks 25 miles in the outback of Pakistan to get to a U.S., library where they can access the books and then they read the big leap and then they make a difference for the people in their village. And, you know, it's like miracles like that to me are just as important as like yesterday, I was working with a multi multimillionaire, a wall street person about a big business deal. That's going to be worth a hundred million dollars. And those are both exciting things. And I love working with both those kind of clients. Equally satisfying. It doesn't matter if it's somebody creating a women's economic venture in their village in Pakistan or a Wall Street person making a shift. It's all the same to me because what it represents is people going down inside and finding out what their true genius is and bringing that forth. That's why I can talk about this limitlessly because to me, that's what life is all about. And if I can help somebody do that, wow. I've got the best job on earth. As a matter of fact, I don't really consider myself actually having had a job for the past 30 years, because although I probably work more hours than many people do, to me, I'm always doing something that makes a difference in somebody's life. And to me, I would do that even if I didn't get well paid for it, because to me, there's nothing better in life than maximizing our potential. I want to be on the front lines of that as long as I possibly can with people.
1: I love it too. So I have a question for you about the zone of genius. And this is something I'm I'm sure Sandy was about to ask this too, but I'm going to co-op the question here. So we... Our entrepreneurs, we're two women who've built a software startup and we coach other women building businesses as well. And in our line of work, we're like constantly coming up against challenges where we're not necessarily in our zones of genius. And I'm wondering if you have advice for those of us, like, how, what is the balance between taking on new tasks and and coming up against new obstacles and figuring out how to overcome them and learn new strategies versus kind of staying within what you recognize and already know is your zone of genius? Like where's the balance between ambition and new skill set building and zone of genius?
2: Great question. I do hundreds of interviews a year and I'm always delighted when somebody asks me a question I haven't been asked before. So blessings upon you for uh, asking me a a question I haven't been asked before. Yeah, that's without prying into your lives, around 35 or 40 years old. I don't know if you're there yet, but are are you in that- We're there. Okay, good. Well, let me let me just say in developmental psychology, we say in your 20s, your job is to experiment and try on different things. In your 30s, you find your life. In your 40s, you build your life. In your 50s and beyond, you enjoy your life. And that's not to say you shouldn't enjoy your life. Now it's just that typically people are in building mode in their thirties and forties, and often don't give themselves time to sit back and go, ah, look at what I've created so far. So here, let me just save you some pain and misery here. Yes, please. <laughs> right now, one of your big jobs is to get good at saying an enlightened no, To get as good at saying no as you are at saying yes, you can get so far with saying yes, and that's great. You've gotten to a great place. Now you're going to have to shape it so that you're devoting your energies into the things that make the most difference. For people in their 30s and 40s entrepreneurs, the big tug is toward distractions, getting involved in side projects. other things that aren't on the central mission, getting waylaid by your upper limit issues and not being able to get through. Those kinds of things are of paramount importance. And so one of the things I like to tell people in your 30s and 40s is to pause occasionally and give yourself some loving appreciation for where you are now, rather than always pushing toward more and better and That's a good thing for sure. But the balance is required. And when you ah, take time off from that for a minute or a day or a week, and let yourself just really celebrate what you've done so far. So I want to give you the homework assignment of spend a good half hour or an hour this week, just go out for a walk and let the walk be about going through all the things you've accomplished and done in your life and celebrating the mistakes as well as the big breakthroughs, but celebrating yourself for exactly what you've done because it's a trap of highly gifted people like yourself to focus only on what you haven't done yet and what you need to do to get to your ideal. And that can kind of create a lot of buzz in your mind that's unnecessary. Take it a little easier. The personality that gets you to 40 is not the personality that's going to get you to 80. So you have to begin reinventing a new version of yourself as you come up 35, 40, 45 years old that includes the wholeness of yourself, not just that ambition-oriented part of yourself.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I think a lot of us need to hear that.
2: So- Thank you for asking.
1: Okay. Got
0: it. But I think that what I- you know, I think I struggle with it and I see this definitely in our clients. And again, we're talking about like business and job. So I'm going to, I have this thing, like, so our, a lot of our clients are, are teachers as in yoga teachers and spiritual teachers and wellness teachers or whatever. And so they their genius, I'm sure they would say their genius is like actual teaching. But when you run a business, there are other aspects that perhaps you are completely incompetent, like in the zone of incompetence, right? And does that not in the beginning, like, do you not have to be somewhat comfortable in all zones when you're building a business?
2: I think that's a really good point, you know, because I can remember when we started, just uh, Kate, uh, my wife is, uh, her full name is Kathleen Hendricks, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks, we call her Katie here. Katie and I are about to have our 40th wedding anniversary. And for the beginning of our relationship 40 years ago, we set the intention of wanting to both live together, be married and everything like that, but also to work together all the time. We wanted to create our business. That was Zona
0: Genius 100% of the time, wasn't it?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Except that, (laughs) you know, what, what happens oftentimes when you create a noble project, whether it's getting married or launching a business, oftentimes suddenly, the moment you make a commitment, barriers start to appear. That is the nature of the job, and then your job is to get through the barriers and to minimize them as much as possible to get through them so you can stay on track. I have a an image I use with my entrepreneurs that I teach, and it is the image of an automatic pilot on an airplane that if you think of it, a plane can take off in Seattle and fly to New York or fly to Montreal or Canada or wherever it's going via the automatic pilot. And how that works is they set the automatic pilot okay we're in seattle we want to go to honolulu set it there and it flies and then does it go straight in a line all the way to honolulu no about a million times between seattle and honolulu it goes we're drifting to the right let's correct to the left oh we're drifting to the left let's correct to the right oh we're going up a little bit let's correct down and it makes these little decisions all the time by being really good at re correcting, at correcting, drifting off and getting back. So it gets to Honolulu by being wrong most of the time. And the same way with it, your entrepreneuring work, you'll get to where you get to by re correcting and drifting all the time and knowing how to recommit. Here we say in our trainings that recommitment is as important as the original commitment. Because if you say to a person, I do, I marry you, I agree, whatever your wedding vows are. That's a beginning commitment. But then what happens the next day when you wake up not feeling that way? You know, And that's going to happen anytime you make a big enough commitment in your life. So number one recommendation is get really good at being open to learning and re-correcting, taking feedback well. One of the biggest traps for entrepreneurs is, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are great at the creative stage of creating content and, you know, developing a program or whatever it is they're selling. And yet the sustaining of it is a problem, you know, because then they get lost in all those alleyways and things that take you away from your genius zone. I think one of the most important things, I I talk about this in my new book, The Genius Zone, one of the most important things you can do is make a commitment to allowing your genius to flow more every day. So making a commitment, even if you don't know how that's going to happen, to spending more and more time in your genius zone doing what you most love to do. That's a commitment that I wouldn't be here without that commitment. And because my life didn't, my career didn't really take off in a huge way until I got clear that I had a certain message that I wanted to deliver. And that was the important thing, not important how I was delivering. it. I could be a university professor and deliver it. But then the first time Oprah called, I actually turned them down because I didn't see the value of it. <laughs> Whoa, how, do, how often does that happen anymore? Uh, later on, I, I, I got to see the value of things like that. And then the next time they invited us on, I said, yes. I think that the main thing is saying yes to your genius and the constant unfoldment of your genius. That's what will make you wake up every day with a smile on your face and excitement and ready to hit the floor and uh, do what you're here to do.
1: So Practically speaking, do you suspect that it means that entrepreneurs should be outsourcing those skills that are not necessarily in their zone of genius? Is that one of the ways to achieve that? Because otherwise, I think this is the big question we struggle with is how do you... Does it mean that you find a way to become genius at all of these things that are not necessarily your skill set? Way not. No.
2: (laughs) Don't do that, people. (laughs) They can see me wildly shaking my head back here. Uh, uh, but that's such a good point because, you know, like in the beginning, you know, like I used to coach Michael Dell down in uh, Dell Computer. Guy's a billionaire. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are pictures of him and his wife packing boxes in the early days, you know, in the in the packing room. Uh, <laughs> and now you know, $15 billion later, he doesn't have to pack boxes anymore. But there was a time when he was packing boxes. And I remember actually, my wife and I, way back in the 80s, thinking, gosh, these laser printers are really nice. Wouldn't it be great to have a laser printer and a fax machine? And I remember, I I remember saying, gosh, Would we really ever need a fax machine you know uh that's for big business kind of things all right so anyway it was a very different world back then when we first started but the thing is here's my strong advice as quickly as possible get somebody else to do those even if you have to trade something for it and you can't pay them directly find Mm -hmm. some way as an investment in your own creative genius As quickly as possible, replace yourself doing things that you can do, but somebody else can do just as well. The four zones I talk about in The Big Leap are the zone of incompetence, where you're doing stuff you're not good at, the zone of competence, where you're doing stuff you're good at, but somebody else could do as well. Then the real problem, though, is getting stuck in your zone of excellence, where you're doing stuff you're really good at, but it doesn't make you wake up in the morning and say, wow. I'm in love with my life. I cannot wait to get started doing what I'm doing. I've had the bliss and joy of feeling that way for well more than half my life now. And uh, I wake up very early. I woke up at 3.30 this morning. And normally I wake up between 4 and 4.30. But I'm right now I'm involved in such an interesting project that I woke up at uh, 3.30 thinking about it. And so uh, I, uh, I'm i helping, I think I mentioned this a few minutes ago, I'm helping a, a Wall Street guy sell a business and so it's a very exciting process with a lot of moving parts and I only have to do the very best part it. I don't have to do anything else but help keep him fine-tuned so he is operating out of the wholeness of himself through this mm-hmm. process rather than getting lost in the money aspect or getting lost in the pleasing his board of directors aspect just to keep his focus on his genius and it's turned a year-long project into something that can be done in a year because i mean in a month because it doesn't take time when you're in your genius zone things can happen right away you don't have to obey the rules of linear time so he didn't even think about this until a couple of months ago and suddenly whoosh you know here this whole thing has come together and so i think living in your genius zone is not a luxury i think it's a necessity because if we don't open up more of a connection with our true genius as we get up into our 30s 40s and 50s we're leaving a tremendous amount of our potential untapped you know we're just you don't want to have on your gravestone john smith died potential fully intact you don't want that kind of slogan on your gravestone you want gay hendrix he died in the fullness of his potential. you know That's the kind of thing we wanna say about ourselves. You wanna be saying, wow, as you exit this life. That's what I'm living for. And I wanna be fully spent, in a sense, when I finish. I, I don't wanna leave any of my genius unlived. That's why I wake up and start writing every morning at five o'clock, is I wanna make sure I've, I'm up to date, that I've expressed everything I wanna express before I leave here. Mm-hmm.
0: Are you, in that example of that gentleman that's selling the business, are you able to share? I mean, of course, we don't want to know who he is, but can you like I- explain to us like a year down to a month, what is he? What is his zone of genius that you were holding him to that mm. allows him to like be so efficient at this process?
2: Fabulous question. The thing is, it doesn't have anything to do with business. This guy is a genius at having a, what I would call a, a kind of a, a nameless spiritual connection is not necessarily through a religion but he's got somehow he basically set out to create a business out of a set of spiritual ideas mm-hmm. and boy do I want to support that you know yeah. because i've i've been around all sorts of different businesses and most of them didn't get started and but the thing is he's so plugged in he's a great manifester so he can create things kind of at the drop of a hat so mm-hmm. I keep him focused in on his genius zone of feeling that spiritual connection all the time. Because when he loses that, when he operates out of trying to please his board of directors or trying to approach it on a level of a financial entity Mm -hmm. it doesn't work as well but when he sees it in the wholeness of his spiritual development and just sees that this is just one element of that that's his superpower to stay plugged in like that and i know it's kind of an odd thing to associate with a business person but a lot of times people find their way to me that that have a kind of a spiritual practice because they know i've been a meditator for 50 years and am interested in those kinds of things that's very different Kind of genius than it is. Like I have another client who's also a, a kind of a Wall Street wizard. He's a genius at numbers. I mean, this guy is awesome. I once was trying to figure out something on my calculator. Uh, I forget what we were working on. And it was some very large number. And I started to punch it out just to see what it was. And he, he immediately said, Oh, that's 17,472,106. And I said, How did you do that? And he said, I did it in my head. I just see things like that. Wow. My brain does not work like that. (laughs) I stalled out about the fourth grade, I think, long (laughs) division. That that began to really challenge me. Uh, But fortunately, you don't need to understand genius level business numbers if you've got other skills and capabilities. Mm. The spiritual guy. He's got a pretty decent sense of the numbers, but not like this other person I was talking about. And I have a woman executive too, that I've worked with for probably since 1988 on and off, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. once a year or so. She has gone all the way from rising to the top of her field and then kind of going off into philanthropy and things like that. And every time at a different stage of her career, it's always been her genius zone, which in her case, is a kind of a, what I would call a worldwide feeling of compassion she's able to generate inside ourselves. That's why you may not have run across it yet. It was big back in the 90s. I have a book called The Corporate Mystic, and it came out about 25 years ago. What it's about is a discovery I made that at the very top of business, oftentimes, are people that have that spiritual connection. It's counterintuitive in a way. You'd think they'd be you know, incredibly great at, you know, marketing or uh, the numbers aspect. But a lot of times their superpower is that they operate more as a mystic than actual mystics I've met in in, uh, monasteries that I've been in and things like that. I always say, if you want to get a real sense of Practical spirituality. Follow one of these people around, one of these spiritually plugged in CEOs around during the day. You'll get to see a type of practical spirituality that's just beautiful to see. You know, I once followed Bob Shapiro. Uh, Robert Shapiro used to be the uh, CEO of Monsanto when they were trying to go in a more environmentally responsible direction back in the 90s. And I did a lot of work with him. And we'd be walking down the halls. And he would pause and talk to a secretary, for example, and he would say, you know, how's Randy doing at his new school? You know, it was amazing to see the level of contact that these people had. It was a spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. And to me. That's why we ought to be doing what we do. wherever Whether you're doing it in business or not, you're, you you want to be doing it in a way that enlivens you as a spiritual being as well as a, a physical and a social being on our planet.
0: Can we talk about fear of shining and social media?
2: Oh, okay. Great. Well, uh, you're probably referring to one of the big fears in The Big Leap where I mm-hmm. say that one of the reasons people don't get out from under their big limits, as they uh, upper limits, is they have a fear of outshining other people. Was that one of yours, Sandy? Um, no, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to shine. Um, the the reason I asked the question is that we. It's just in one of our recent coaching calls. We were kind of like batting this idea around about as an entrepreneur, we do need to shine. We do need to self-promote. And there is this deep connection and I think more so for women, but it could be wrong that there is this like humility piece. I don't want to be seen as a egoic. I don't want to see it be seen as bragging. I want my business to thrive, but I don't want to talk about me and I don't want to talk about my business because people are going to judge me in a way that is not positive. So I, that's some of the conversations we're having, and I would just love your thoughts and if does that link back into the fear of shining?
2: Very much so. And what happens is the people that are in your network are very gifted in a certain way. They wouldn't be part of this kind of conversation unless they had a deep yearning to make a great deal of their potential. And oftentimes that comes with, I think, another component which makes it very satisfying, which is... When you can make your own genius not only serve yourself, but serve other people at the same time And so to me life that's my purpose in life is I expand in love abundance and creativity every day as I inspire other people to do the same And built into that purpose is I want to see other people shine, too So here's the thing if you're shy if you don't want to see your face out there on Zoom or you don't like the sound of your voice, take heart in this. My very first speech I ever gave when I wrote my first book, which is 1975, it was a little book for educators called The Centering Book, and it was designed to help teachers help kids get centered before tests and relax and get focused and that kind of thing. So it was a little book of awareness activities. And it took off and became a nice little bestseller. And I started being invited to go around and give talks. And I started by getting invited to go to Kansas City and give a talk to a teacher's conference. And I remember I got paid $150 plus expenses and (laughs) that would seem like I was on my way to radical wealth, just getting paid $150 for a half hour speech. So, uh, but anyway, what happened was I gave my talk on my new book and a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I really loved your talk. And I said, oh, thank you, you know? And he said, it wasn't what you said, it was how you said it. And I said, oh yeah, what do you mean? And he said, well, when you gave that speech, your voice shakes just as badly as mine does when I try to speak in public. <laughs> thank you. One, one of those compliments where you say, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> but it got, got me to think, I realized I was nervous. And why was I nervous? Well, I had that fear of shining. Who was I to go talk to these Teachers, you know, these people had spent years in the classroom. I'd spent a couple of years in the classroom. And so, you know, it brought up that fear of outshining. And also, I had a golden boy, older brother, my older brother Mike, classic golden boy. He looked great. He was gorgeous. The girls all loved him. He was the student body president, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And I was always the one that came along eight years later that the teacher said, Oh yeah, I taught your brother. What happened to you? Basically, you know, the, because I was not the student body president, I was a, a you know, scraped by in mathematics whereas my brother was a whiz at mathematics and so um I felt like I couldn't let my genius shine very much because it was in no comparison to a golden boy, there was no way I could compete in that field. Now, your situation may have been different and everything, but I can almost guarantee if someone has that fear of outshining, it's because they are comparing themselves to someone usually in the past and often a sibling. And so that's often where we get our fear of outshining. So here's what I would say to you. Love yourself for having that. Honor yourself. There's a good reason you have that. But let me invite you to focus on your mission not yourself. You know, you're a delivery person for your mission. Find out what your sacred message is and get your heart and mind behind that message because it's not about you. you No, it's about a bigger thing and you being a delivery person. If you think you're the only delivery person for it, well, you got a problem there. Uh, But if you believe that everybody on earth deserves to hear this information and that they can then use it to have their own lives thrive, why that's a much better way to step out into the world than thinking it's about ourselves.
1: Mm -hmm. So I am not going to be able to hold back on getting some personal coaching here on this, because I, I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and, um, so I, I'm still a little perplexed because I, I, I totally get what you're saying and I, it resonates with me so strongly. But I'm trying to understand when is something an upper limit problem versus when is it just you're not in your zone of genius? So just for me personally, I was extremely shy as a child. I hardly spoke until I was about nine years old, like just did not speak. And I recognized that if I, that I did have a message to share with the world and I, I, I have always been an environmental activist and advocate. And I I spent my childhood learning to to break out of that. And to the point where um, I've spoken on hundreds and hundreds of stages and I love public speaking now and I love sharing my message. And how do you know though, when is something like just, you're just not really meant to do it, you know, and it's like not your zone of genius and you should, maybe I should have been a writer and just been quiet versus like overcoming the hurdles of learning a new skill. And I think like that, how do you know when you're in one camp versus the other?
2: Usually Jenny, the, uh, a key variable is to notice how much you're feeling afraid in your body. Fear Mm -hmm. is a good sign that you're upper limiting um, and to uh, get comfortable with fear, get more comfortable with loving your fear, with being open to it. Let it teach you rather than shying away from it Uh, because you're only going to learn what's best for you by learning how to feel the wholeness of yourself. So that shy little girl Mm -hmm. has some genius in her that you can learn from and that you want to make sure you preserve inside that. Whereas to express your message may require you to tool up a new personality. I had to tool up an entirely different personality mm-hmm. to do things like get on, to be on Oprah successfully. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd come from a kind of a quiet, uh, I only taught graduate students. So I never had to face an auditorium full of a thousand undergraduates who were half asleep and uh, eight o'clock in the morning or anything, because I only taught graduate students and I taught them, from four o'clock in the afternoon until 9 30 at night, where they were there in a commuter situation. And so uh, it was a little bit different. I only worked with kind of grownups, but it was a quiet setting. Whereas people ask me sometimes what it's like to be on Oprah. And I say, okay, go down to a coffee shop and order 10 cups of espresso and line them up on the <laughs> counter and then go chug, 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 chug. <laughs> and then Wait about 20 minutes and you'll get a sense of what the energy is like <laughs> on a show like that. And uh, <laughs> so I was completely, I'd been on smaller television shows, but I'll tell you, walking out on that stage with 150 people cheering and all that, that was a whole different experience. And I had to work up a new personality for that, a personality that <laughs> knew how to speak in sound bites, you know, yeah. because on the shows, they don't say, Doctor Hendricks, sit down, relax. Tell us about all your work. You know, it's like you're working with a couple out there, and and Oprah says, "Okay, this couple has been fighting about money for the last twelve years. Here they are. What do you do with them? You know?" And so you got a boom, 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 boom. That's not a bad skill to learn. By the way, I would invite all of your listeners and viewers to learn how to express your message in 10 seconds, in 30 seconds, in two minutes, in five minutes. At our trainings, uh, our professional trainings, we have our our coaches learn how to tell the purpose of their work in 30 seconds, how to tell the purpose of their work in two minutes, and how to tell the purpose of their work in five minutes because they'll have lots of situations. A lot of times people ask me, when I used to do a lot of flying prior to this past year, I'd be on an airplane with somebody and they'd say, what do you do? Well, I always take that opportunity to tell them exactly what Mm -hmm. I do, everything. And I've had some of the greatest conversations with a person next to me, like I was sitting next to the CEO of the Top Ramen Noodle Company one time, which I (laughs) used to eat as a graduate student. Do you remember those five for a dollar uh, over there? (laughs) And uh, I had to tell him, you know, like, I ate a lot of your product, but how do you make any money selling something that costs 25 cents a piece? And he said, it's easy. You lose money on the noodles. And I said, what? And he says, oh, yeah, I lose money every time one of you starving graduate students buys one of my packages of noodles. And I said, well, how have you been in business for 40 years then? Because he was in his 60s at the time. And he said, ah, listen. And then he explained to me carefully how you grow a business from a little product. And even though you may be losing money on that Loss leader of a product. It allows you to get into the grocery store and then put other things in there. And you know, mm-hmm. by the end of that flight, I had a graduate level education case study, just like you'd get at your MBA at Harvard, in how to grow a business from a pack of noodles all the way to a, <laughs> a worldwide empire. So I'm willing to have the conversation because it's all about my mission, and I want to hear about other people's mission. I want to find out. What's captured the hearts and minds of people? So I I try to be as good a listener. Like every time I have to spend some time, I was at the gas station a while back and I was putting some gas in my car and went into pay and something was wrong with the thing and the guy was fiddling with the charge thing. And while I was just waiting for my thing to be rung up, I said to him, which I often ask, what are some of the big problems in running a gas station? And I always get these great answers when I ask this question. The guy said, oh, man, my biggest problem. You want to know what my biggest problem is? And I said, yeah. He said, people steal my squeegees. <laughs> well, that's the last thing in the world I ever imagined somebody. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I've lost almost $40 of squeegees this week from people stealing them. And I said, oh, OK, what's another bigger problem? He said. People drive off while they're still connected to the gas pump. Oh my that happens about once a week. Oh my God. <laughs> <So, laughs> both of those, in a way, sound hilarious, but if you're a gas station owner, they're a big deal. And I learned so much from that conversation because it's oftentimes these little tiny things that are causing the biggest problem. There happens to be, I thought, some pretty good engineering solutions to both of those kinds of things. But anyway, that's beside the point. The the point I'm making is to be so wide open to learning and listening that wherever you go, life gets to teach you. Uh, Here we use a 20 point openness to learning scale that people can rate themselves in. If you're really open to learning, you do things like you guys are doing. You ask good questions and you have open body language and you express interest and you look curious about things. If you're not open, if if you were not open to listening, you'd be having kind of closed body language. You'd be having your uh, arms over your chest. You'd be kind of sneering at what I was saying. So that's, (laughs) you'd be scoring under the line, below the line on openness to learning. Uh, But the way you're doing it invites me to bring forth the essence of what I have to bring forth. So I want to see a world in which everybody listens to each other the way us three are listening to each other right now. Wouldn't that be a great world to live in? Yeah,
0: yeah. And it takes both people to speak and volunteer and, and then another person to to listen. So I love that. Okay, I have one last question for you before we wrap this up. I would love to know for you personally, we are recording this in July of 2021. I think America is opening up, Canada is slowly opening up. What did you learn through COVID? What was this last year? I know you shared with us business-wise, like what happened, but what did you personally learn about yourself, your business, the world through COVID?
2: Mm. Well, one thing I learned that I've deepened so much was just the pure joy of being that both Katie and I have remarked about this, about how often, you know, the busyness of life, you know, just running around from place to place and getting things done takes up such a huge amount of time and energy that during the pandemic, you know, instead of flying off every week to be on an airplane to go somewhere and give a speech or a seminar, ah, we were here. And so we were riding our bikes together and and meditating together every day and things that, uh, you know, are just so joyful to us. So I would say that was one of the big uh, learnings for me. I found it frustrating sometimes because I love to go out and give a talk to a crowd. I just gave my first live speech uh, a week ago. uh, I mean, last Sunday and over in Santa Barbara at the Unity Church over there, they invited me to come over and talk about the new book. And it was so delicious being with a live crowd again, actual people that clapped and laughed and all those things. And like uh, they're
0: in three dimensions, like they're not just like flat screen.
2: Yeah, it's kind of it was kind of hard at first learning how to relate to people again out in public. I also yeah. went to my first live party a while back and I think most of us were kind of standing around saying, "Okay, what are we supposed to do here exactly?" I worry
0: about having to have a conversation without like my face in front of myself. <laughs> That's going to be odd.
2: Do you know what I mean? It, just realize the sight of your face is going to make anybody <laughs> happy. Same to you, Jen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like my favorite person right now <laughs> all right and just i i i feel kind of bad like we didn't talk about your new book do you want to give us um, oh
2: yes the new like, book um let me give you a quick couple started. of punchlines yeah, from that yeah please um number one punchline you get more opportunities than you can imagine every day of opening to your genius zone in the book i call those genius moments because it's a moment when life is inviting you to open up your genius. And I show you how to recognize those and what to do. So um, by the way, um, I Instagrammed a, a picture of a woman reading my book on the beach uh, today with her bikini on and everything. And I, 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 while I support that entirely, <laughs> this is a book that I really want you to sit down with in the quiet of your uh, room for an hour. Uh, okay. So uh, not a beach read. I'm delighted. I'm flattered, but uh, take, take Stephen King to the beach, take me back into your office and sit down for an hour. Uh, the reason being is the genius zone is taken from transcripts of sessions I did in my office. And so it's kind of like having a session with me. If you, or read or listen to the audio book. And um, the uh, other thing is that's in the book is the uh, yeah. actual instructions for how to make what I call the genius move. And that's what's worth spending an hour actually learning how to do because, mm-hmm. wow, if you can get yourself so that you can, it, it's like, uh, like you're walking down the sidewalk and suddenly you find a way to fly down the sidewalk. And then what do you do? How do you stabilize yourself so that you can fly down the sidewalk gently and effortlessly rather than worrying about coming back to earth? And so about once a year, I have a dream in in my actual dreams where I'm running along a beautiful hillside. And then I have this thought, wow, if I adjusted my arms and my attitude a little way, a little differently, I could take off and fly. And in my dream, I make that shift. And suddenly I'm soaring up and down these valleys. And so that's in a way, the shift that I'm inviting you to make in the new book is this little subtle shift in your mind that then allows you to open up to more of your genius. So uh, yes, uh, thank you for asking about that. Uh, uh, Feel free to read it in your bikini, but uh, take your bikini to a quiet place and uh, uh, do it that way. (laughs)
1: Well, I will be using my highlighters from my office and I'm eagerly looking forward to it. So thank you so much. And um, Dr. Hendricks, before we let you go, we'd love to ask you to share with our listeners something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that can help them hustle in their career or
2: business. Something that's bringing me joy right now. I have, Katie and I got two, seven years ago, we got two tiny little British short hair kittens (laughs) and um, now this seven is years. All later. for
0: Jenny. Did you talk to me? Makes again me so happy. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Uh,
2: well, we uh we have these two wonderful British short haired cats named Greta and Allie, and they are just turned into the most wonderful companions. They mm-hmm. they just um you know, if, if I'm sitting, Greta will like come sit on me while I'm reading, or Allie loves to just sit between Katie's legs when Katie's relaxing, watching the news or something. And so these two little girls have brought a dimension of joy. I didn't grow up being a, a cat person or a, a pet person or a dog person. So for me, kind of falling in love with these two little amazing little girls has been a real blessing in my life that I never imagined happened. And so that's my, uh, that's the first thing of joy that you comes should put to
0: put that mind. on Instagram. You need to Instagram that.
2: Oh, you know what? I've got tons of pictures of my cats on Instagram. They're one of the most oh. popular. I. On Instagram, if I say something wise, uh, I get about a hundred likes. Yeah, if I put a picture of, right. of my cats, I get a thousand likes. You know, so I've learned. I've learned. That's uh, right.
0: We just did a. We just recorded a podcast before this, all about this phenomenon. So that's so funny <laughs> that you.
2: That. Yeah. So uh, what was the? Oh, the hustle. Hustle. Um, yes. Here's a here's a gift. No matter where you are in your entrepreneurial life, I started out working with juvenile delinquents in a school for juvenile delinquents in about 45 minutes, my next person is going to arrive up from LA. And she's a person that you would recognize instantly because she's been on a major television show for the last 10 years or so. And so I've gone all the way from juvenile delinquents to Hollywood royalty. And the message is still the same. Here it is. What I said to her early on and what I said to these juvenile delinquents 40 years ago, it's, Ask every day for more and more of your genius to be revealed. And so here's the specific thought to get it started. I'm willing to experience more and more of my genius every day. I'm willing to experience more and more of my genius every day. Put that thought in your mind, put that thought in your body, put that idea to work for you. It's gentle. It doesn't require special shoes or traveling to a cave in Tibet, just in the quiet of your own mind, make that tiny little adjustment. Then you begin to lift off. Then you begin to fly because opening that little willingness invites the universe to start sending more good things your way that support your genius. And so Mm -hmm. that's the best little 10-second tool I can give to any entrepreneur or even if you're a Hollywood movie star. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. I love the um, I'm willing. Yes. That phrase makes it very... Able, you're able to connect to that emotionally versus like I experience my genius. Like it's like, ah, you know, but like I'm willing and open. So thank you for that. That was beautiful. So for all our inner circle clients, we'll be talking about that in our next call for sure. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. So where can people connect with you, find out more about what you're doing? I assume they can go buy your book
2: everywhere. Go buy the book everywhere. Oh, one thing though, if you go to the book's website called geniuszonebook.com, You can, when you get the book, you can get a download of a meditation that I did, especially that goes along with the book. It's a 15 minute meditation with music and everything. And a lot of people are using it every day, which I really recommend. Uh, So it only takes you 15 minutes, but it's in my voice and it takes you through five of the big moves you need to make Mm. in order to master the material in the new book.
0: Is it helpful to read The Big Leap first, or can you just jump right into that one?
2: Well, you can jump in, but I highly recommend The Big Leap first, if you possibly can. Interestingly enough, I was looking at my uh, book sales statistics just last night, and I noticed that uh, you know, the new book, as they always do when they take off, they take off big, but sales of The Big Leap skyrocketed along with it, so mm-hmm. The D- Big Leap kind of doubled, because I think a lot of people were going back and mm-hmm. buying The Big Leap to uh, read this book, so they're all fine with me, and... Uh, even if you uh, see somebody next next door to you uh, wearing a bikini on the beach, feel free to ask them to let you uh, read a couple of chapters.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so good. Thank you so much. Uh, it has been such a pleasure to meet you and to have this time with you. So thank you for coming on to the show. Thank
2: you. Well, thank you very much, Sandy. And thank you, Jenny. Thanks for doing your genius and getting your work out into the world and uh, asking the big questions. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, before you go, if you enjoy listening to our podcast and you know that your future involves teaching or coaching online, check out our Inner Circle Experience. It's where we take these concepts, women in business, money, online business strategy, mindset, feminism, and help our clients take their expertise and transition it to an online offering. It's a one-year program with high touch strategy and mindset coaching, online business courses, and the best community on the internet. To apply, head over to theinnercircle.works, fill out our short two-minute application. And if we believe you're a great fit, you'll receive access to a private advanced training on creating a profitable online business and all the program details. Go to theinnercircle.works to learn more.